0: Welcome everybody to the concluding episode of the Are You Not Entertained? Web3 series. Uh, this is the sixth episode, and it's right that we close it the way we started it with the amazing Robbie Jung from Animoca. Welcome, Robbie. Hi, how are you, Roger? I'm good, it's always great to see you. It's always great. And, and in many ways, comforting my friend. Uh, <laughs> in, in, in the five months since we spoke, Web3 uh, months seem to be like dog months. And we have seen a lot of changes in this uh, this whole ecosystem. I think for the superficial people, they read that one way. And I think, you know, my objective today with you, Robbie, is to try and put a little bit of um, maturity into what has been, for many people, a kind of like told you so moment for for crypto, for stable coins, and for NFTs. Uh, You know that uh, I remain incredibly bullish in all of this, but I wanted to start off, Robbie, by asking you to explain how you've lived the last five months uh, and how you are uh, dealing with what many say is a bear market in the whole world of Web3. Sure. Um, Okay,
1: so I guess guess the simplest way to look at it is, you know for us in this business um the market conditions have not i guess the market conditions meaning you know the price of crypto that people who trade crypto for example look at on a daily basis um that's not really our business i mean worrying about that would be like you know worrying about the stock market when you when you run a business and you sell goods and services um it has an effect cuz the world is interlinked but it's not our business um and so for us Nothing changes, with the exception of the fact that because we are an active investor in the space, obviously, you know, an overall um change in the financial markets results in a change in valuation and valuation expectations so as an investor yes things change a little bit because now perhaps if valuations are moving as a result of market volatility then we have to take that into consideration in our investment decisions but in terms of product that we build and our relationship with customers and such nothing changes you know every day is the same
0: Is that really true though, Robbie? I'm not sure I've got the exact figures but you would know better than me. The activity around Axia Infinity, has that not dropped off a lot in the last three or four months? Uh,
1: So that activity in Axia Infinity has changed over time As a result of lots of things but i would not say that it's changed strictly as a result of the conditions of the crypto market per se um it's changed because it changes based on features based on um user activity engagement you know a lot of times people will play a game and they'll be really into it and then they'll move on to something else because people have short attention spans and that's the nature of entertainment products yeah um because I think you know, if you if you compare it, Axie Infinity has tremendous um, retention metrics, um, but that's with respect to the expectation of games. You know, if you're if you're making a mobile free-to-play game, your expectation is that you'll lose ninety percent of your users in the first several weeks. They will just go away mm. because that's the way the business is built, and millions of companies and and apps in the app stores are built on that premise. So I think that you know, the idea behind these entertainment products fundamentally is that they've been fleeting, but that in Web3, we can actually create incentive schemes through tokenization that encourage better retention. And so we've seen very good retention with Axie Infinity, but it's to be expected that users will churn out. Um, That's just the nature of the business.
0: Mm. So you you don't feel that... What I would call the kind of like sentiment, you know, you mentioned financial markets, financial markets work on sentiment, the sentiment around what was a pretty cardiac shock uh, around, you know, uh, Luna and stablecoin, and a lot of people that maybe got into this whole space thinking that, you know, everything went to the moon. Do, do you think that they are going to like shrug that off and get back to what you're talking about, which is enjoying the products, enjoying the new way to to play games, play to earn? Do, do you think this is just a road bump and it's, the, the direction of travel is unchanged?
1: Yes, absolutely. I think as a reminder, I mean, a lot of people like to point to crypto markets and be like, oh my God, they've completely cratered. You know, Ethereum is the same price today as it was in July last summer. Mm-hmm. Zoom it's out, bro.
0: That's, that's the phrase, isn't it? Zoom out, bro. <laughs> <laughs> I guess that would be it. Um, but I think I think volatility
1: is always part of any new industry. Um, and, and and I think some of that is due to the fact that we're still a very small industry. You know, there are only the number of players in Web3 gaming um, and entertainment products is numbered in the tens of millions, which in today's online world is tiny. I mean, we have influencers with more followers than that.
0: Mm -hmm. So how would you categorize how the turbulence in the last five months has been for Animoca, which, let's remind everybody, is the major investor quasi VC in the space? Are you using this as a, a way to maybe be more difficult on deal terms and valuations is this an opportunity for you as one could say that a a warren buffett enjoys these kind of moments to make the best investments or is it have you pressed the pause button or or, tell us a little bit about how you've reacted to all of this
1: i think with our investor hat on it's naturally um it's naturally sensible to always think about what the market value of things should be, and so as we look at making new investments, we readjust our um, perspective and also manage the expectations of those potential investees based on market conditions. Because you know, when the market is really hot, prices tend to escalate, and people ask for more, and and the reverse is true at other times. So I think that's no different than any other investor in any sector. Um, We are still very actively Mm -hmm. investing because we don't see, you know, if you go back to your zoom out bro um, (laughs) philosophy, then we don't actually see any change in the market because we're we're fundamental believers in the fact that blockchain is changing entertainment, Mm -hmm. digital content, and the way we consume digital content because in our view, you know, ownership is preferable to rental. Um, And so if you have a choice between the two, we think that once consumers have the benefits of ownership, they're not going to look back to the old system. Uh, And so this is an inevitable change. It's just a question of how long it takes.
0: Yeah. And to back that up, and I'll I'll turn that question around a little bit. When you see Andreessen closing another fund for $4.5 and you see Sequoia and everything they are doing and the other VCs, are you finding it ever more competitive to get into the best companies? Um, or is it like anything else? Is it now becoming very difficult to get your term sheet away before somebody else does?
1: I think that um, we're different because we're not, we're not a VC. Yeah. Um, we're a very active strategic investor in the space. But I think what we offer to companies that we work with um, is something different. Because we come at it from the perspective of being a um, game development partner. Um, And so one of the things that's important is we we don't make financial investments. We only make strategic investments. Mm -hmm. So every investment we make is with a company for which we have a plan and an intention of working together and cooperating in some fashion. So that's quite different from, from a financial investor, I think.
0: Well, all the VCs give you that line, don't they? But they don't really pull it off most of the time i take your point i mean i, I was researching this and i think I, I, I was astonished actually i was i ran out of space to, to list all your deals that you've done i think in the last 12 months you're over 100 apart from anything robbie how are you managed to do that with your bandwidth as a team i mean that is astonishing um i think because a few things
1: number one we have a reasonably sized team um i mean we are a a, a company of 800 people and growing um and i think we've you know while we're still struggling to scale um the business like anybody else that Mm -hmm. grows quickly um i think we're getting our heads around how to how to be a a thoughtful investor and how to streamline that process um, because obviously we've been doing it a lot so with with more experience comes more efficiency hopefully um and i think also in terms of Providing that strategic benefit to the companies that we work with, one of those magic things about Web three is that <clears throat> we can provide that kind of um, partnership on the basis of them working together directly with our studios and other products. You know, whether mm-hmm. it's the Sandbox or Life Beyond from Darewise or you know Rev Racing, all of these kind of products that we have, and those those don't necessarily require the same resources internally on our end as the people who actually make the investments because we have lots of different teams sure um, and so i think we can kind of divide and conquer in terms of in terms of efficiency on that front
0: well let's talk about one of them to give people more of an idea about animoka because you know, I still think you as a company are, are misunderstood, not just by my sector of sport, but I think in general. Let's take the example, the recent example you've made in motion capture, the company called Move that I know quite well. You know, when you think of it and you think that if we are going to a metaverse world, one of the, the really key core competences you need to have is the ability to take humans into this new metaverse. So, you know, you've made an investment in motion capture company, Move, that does it without all the clunky suits and and everything like that. How does that come about? How do you then uh, structure the deal? And then what are the synergies that you can bring to the table as the Animoca Brands Group? So I think, um, how does it come about? Well, we have lots of friends in the industry. Um, So
1: often people refer deals to us um, and, you know, make suggestions and introductions and say, oh, you know, you guys, there would be a great great synergy between you. You should talk. This is interesting. Um, And so that's usually, I think, how we we find out about things. Um, And then when it comes to a technology like motion capture, you know, it was kind of once I understood what they were trying to do, um, you know to be able to do motion capture in a way that is um, very efficient and um, relatively low cost. I thought was kind of a no-brainer because, you know, we do, as you mentioned earlier, have a relatively broad portfolio of investees. um, And amongst them, we have many companies um, that do do motion capture as part of their regular business. Um, You know, one of them uh, is called fan-controlled football, um, as in American football. Um, And so part of what they do is to actually motion capture an entire American football league um, for the purpose of... Uh, entering it on into a, a game format, and so if we can leverage this kind of technology and bring it to other companies in our portfolio, then that's a win from day one. And so I think even before you know we concluded our investment case, um, already we were making some of those introductions because it's it's just a win. I mean, it's finding a great product that. Companies that we already, you know, are shareholders of and work with can benefit from. So we we want to facilitate that introduction to make everybody's business better.
0: Yeah, when, when I looked at, at, at that and and I link it to the news of the breakup after many years of the EA and FIFA gaming partnership, and I've been a big fan of Web three gaming and play to earn and everything like that. I just want to ask you a little bit. As the licensing world post EA, FIFA, let's say, fragments, what role do you think Web3 and Web3 Gaming can offer that vast audience of of players of what is a a social phenomenon? How do you see that playing out? Hmm.
1: Difficult to say. Um, You know, for me as a licensee, I find the fragmentation incredibly difficult to operate in (laughs) as an environment just because there's a huge amount of overhead and work for us to gather all those rights yeah you know um that's one of the reasons that in the sports industry for example you know it's nice to work with for example some of the u.s sports leagues and i don't say that because we're playing favorites but mainly because they're organized in a centralized fashion so it means you can negotiate with a players association on behalf of all of the players um, and sign a contract as opposed to having to negotiate a hundred contracts. Yeah, um, and that you know, because from our perspective, the more overhead there is in all of that, um, all of the business negotiations and contracts, that's basically that's basically money I'm spending that I can't put into the game product or the metaverse product mm-hmm. because I have to spend it all on lawyers and negotiating and all that time and everything. Um, so it's just one of those f- factors of how you think about project costs. Um, I think, though, Web3 offers an incredible opportunity for anybody who has IP, and obviously athletes and leagues and teams have IP in the area of sports. Because I think that one thing that Web3 does is it, um, because digital rights management um, is accomplished so successfully in Web3 in a way that has not been previously possible, um, it means that we are able to now work across various parties and um, and be able to unify some of those content experiences provided they stick with, this, with somewhat similar standards. Um, so I think one thing that is true is we're moving away from the walled garden approach towards content, um, but doing so in a way that still allows the IP owners to capture the value of their IP. Whereas previously, we had to rely, for example, on, you know, think of the music industry, um, had to rely on streaming services, because the digital rights management um, was not capable of preventing piracy. And so... You know, the world has coalesced around streaming services as a solution to that. But now that we have blockchain, you can consider, you know, alternative business models going back to the sales of songs or music videos or albums or samples or pieces of content because we can manage the rights of them effectively using the blockchain.
0: See, that's that's something that, again, I think is missed when people unload on Web3 in a very simple way that is, in fact, lazy. One of the biggest problems facing the sports industry undoubtedly now is piracy. And I don't understand why people don't look at the blockchain as a potential solution to business model optionality rather than just say, oh, those NFTs, those fan tokens, look how they've not worked. You know, why aren't people grasping a little bit the, the opportunities that the blockchain offers to deal with a problem that will ultimately kill the sports industry if it's not addressed, which is piracy. What would What would you be doing if you were running a major sports organization and you know what you know about the blockchain?
1: so i think uh, maybe i can give you an example from another industry which is uh, luxury goods Um, so in the luxury goods industry one of the one of the use cases for blockchain that's already been in progress for quite a while is to be able to essentially watermark um, luxury handbags Mm -hmm. so luxury handbags have been pirated for many years Mm -hmm. um, successfully for the pirates and a big problem for the brand owners Mm -hmm. and so now thanks to the blockchain one thing that tokenization is really good at is being able to help provide provenance. So you can basically you know, buy your new handbag and your new good, and you can scan the code on it and verify on the blockchain um, that that is an original item. Um, and that cannot be faked because it's on the blockchain. Um, and so I think that that's an interesting way to think about the authentication of physical goods um, and physical merchandise um, obviously, that could be used very simply in sports for things like tickets um, and apparently fake tickets in football are an issue I hear
0: I believe so uh, the, <laughs> but whether it's forty thousand according to the french or but the, this is exactly the point isn't that a great point? We discussed this I think on one of the previous episodes, maybe not with you, but i'm a great believer that the tokenization of both broadcast subscriptions and ticketing is is only a step away it has to be you know and and and, the, and then we wouldn't be having this ridiculous press conference that we're having in paris today but let's move on a little bit to what you've done specifically in our sector i think um most people saw your deal investing in one football i'm not sure many understood it i'll, I'll let you tell me your version of it in a minute but People people need to understand a little bit what OneFootball is. OneFootball is a combination of an amazing uh, streaming platform with a big audience, significant audience, holding various rights in various countries, together with a media hub that was owned directly by the major clubs called Dugout. So um, OneFootball has got the combination of the both of them now and it has got on its uh, cap table its share register some of the biggest IP owners in sport. So, how does that deal come about again? How does it come about? Because this is a complex one, and how do you hope that that delivers what you were saying earlier? This one-stop shop for your licensing needs. Sure.
1: Um, so, one football. You know, we we met a while ago, and we saw in them. Um, potential partner who really really understands the specific domain of football Um, because i think it's important when you go into creating any ip-based product that you need to really understand the ip that you're dealing with so you can be faithful to the brand Um, and football is you know it's an entire sport it's an industry it's incredibly diverse it spans not just teams it spans countries and cultures and languages and you know football is is football's the world. Um, And so I think that uh, what we were looking for was a partner who is very experienced in treating that IP properly um, and understanding the fan base um, and helping us um, to think about how to bring that fan base from Web 2, where one football is quite expert, Mm -hmm. um, into Web 3. And so we elected to form a joint venture between the two of us. We've also made an investment into OneFootball as as an aside, but we've created a joint venture between ourselves and OneFootball and and Liberty City Ventures um, to basically deliver a Web3 football experience where we can all bring our sort of of best-of-class resources together you know we bring our our web 3 knowledge and understanding of creating games and and digital collectibles and one football brings you know tons of specific football media experience and fan engagement experience and we can bring those together to create great football-based web 3 products Um, so specifically um, we're creating Something called ERA, A E R A. I'm spelling it because just so to make it clear, yeah. um, which is ga- basically going to be a new NFT marketplace that is going to be focused specifically on football experiences um, and for football fans. Um, And that's together um, between ourselves and OneFootball and our other partner, uh, which is Dapper Labs, who we've worked with a lot over the years, who we're also shareholders of. Um, And that will offer digital collectibles from all kinds of clubs and leagues and federations and players, because we want to bring together football fans under one particular umbrella for collecting and exchanging and, and, and enjoying participating in their fandom, so to speak. Um, and so we have a few partners announced already for that, um, starting out with the the Argentinian Football Association um, and the Bundesliga, um, as well as a variety of, of well known players.
0: But let's try and be a little bit specific here to help to help the audience. When you say digital products, everybody has got their mind wrapped around things like socios and these fan tokens, the the Liverpool one, the John Terry one. I, I've watched what you guys have been doing for the last two or three months. And I would put it under the category of you're not jumping on the bandwagon, you're building out an infrastructure of delivery. That's not a softball question to you. It's it, I'm trying to get across the point. What difference are you going to be in the fans' eyes to what they've already seen before? So
1: I think the important way to think about it is that we're in the beginning of a very long journey. Um, And that, for us, is a journey where we work together with the fans to build experiences and products over time. But we're not the only ones on the journey. It's us, it's the fans, it's the clubs, it's the players. You know, we're all sort of entering into this new world of what Web3 is capable of. And, you know, it's possible that many of the products that people like the most in two years we haven't even conceived of yet because nobody's come up with the idea, you know? So we're we're in a brand new area. But I think the most important characteristic of Web3, which you've seen across every product in Web3 that's been successful, is it's about community and it's about community engagement. And so in the old parlance of football, it would be fan engagement specifically. So we look to create these products um, as a as a kind of an iterative process together with the fans because they will have a say. Um, they will vote not just with their checkbooks, but you know, on social media and in other places where we engage with fans. So we're starting out with collectibles um, because obviously that's, I think, the most straightforward way to engage with fans and show the benefits of digital ownership. Um, but it's the beginning of the journey because Everything that we do as a, as a you know, whether it's an NFT or other sort of Web3 entertainment product needs to have utility. Mm-hmm. Utility is very mm-hmm. important. Mm-hmm. And so as we bring fans on this journey, we want to make sure that they can enjoy collectibles because they're really cool and they love to collect these, these whether they're video moments or trading cards or whatever form the collectibles take, um, that they enjoy collecting them for the love of collecting but we also want them to then be able to use those collectibles as um, let's say keys to unlock other opportunities Um, and so that they become they participate in the collectible ecosystem as members in a club so to speak so that they can use those to unlock other fan experiences whether those are metaverse experiences experiences games, et see, cetera. See,
0: Robbie, one of the things that I've always not understood about the amazing product that is the English mm-hmm. Premier League Fantasy, 8 million users, which, as I've said many times on this podcast, has been the way that has kept me totally engaged with the English Premiership. If it wasn't for the Fantasy League and me being committed to doing really well, I would watch. A, <laughs> no, it's just the way it is, you know, uh, and I think I'm not uh, uh, alone on that. I would watch 10% of the English Premiership games that I watched today. And that's because of fantasy. And, you know, the thing that strikes me about the fantasy league of the Premiership is I don't see a business model. And, you know, for having 8 million users committed the way that we all are, I'm just thinking, boys, girls, what are you thinking? You know, so then then I hear you say this here, and this is right off the top of my head. Why shouldn't membership of the league and the choice of my team and the exchange of my team and buying players and selling players, why shouldn't that be linked to some kind of like tokenization of the collectible? Do you know what I mean? Uh, I need Mm -hmm. to buy those players in some way. I mean, I don't know the mechanism. It's just off the top of my head, but. I think I would pay for that. I've got my collectibles that I can switch in and out of in your marketplace. Surely the link between web three and fantasy, which I, I believe is so obvious and so powerful, surely that's what you're going to deliver.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think the intention is to try to... Con- the point of Web3 is to try to connect as many experiences as possible. I mean, I think this goes back to the the basic premise of what is the metaverse and why do we call it the metaverse as opposed to calling it a game? The idea of the metaverse is that these are a variety of experiences that previously were standalone. So, you know, Fortnite is an experience and Minecraft is an experience, etc. Um, but once we connect them together, underpinned by true digital ownership that the blockchain offers then you get a metaverse Mm -hmm. Um, so it's about being able to link these experiences and i think what's been discouraging for fans in the past is that often you know if you participate in one experience it can have limited functionality Um, So, you know, you may, you know, buy characters in a game, for example, over here, and you can only use them in that game, and that's it. And then if a new game comes out, you have to buy more characters in the new game to participate in that game. Mm -hmm. And I think one of the promises of Web3 is interoperability, where you can, you know, buy that character and continue to use that character and take it with you from place to place. Or if you decide that maybe, you know, you want to change allegiances from one you know using a football example here change allegiances from one club to another then you can sell your old cards or your old characters or players from one team to buy other ones from another team Um, so i think it's Mm -hmm. about offering that kind of customer choice and that interoperability that it's really key to the whole thing because you know we don't have all the answers it's not like we we have some special insight into what every fan wants and every experience but what we're trying to do is offer offer fans more choice and more agency over the digital items that they own Mm -hmm. because once they have ownership and agency they can decide what to do with it on their own
0: Mm -hmm. you know i noticed that the joint venture that you referred to you call it you call it a lab which i think is very smart because this is about getting people in the boat to have the journey together this world is all to be discovered you know when you put your head to it and you think about what tokenization can offer it's really limitless it's very sad for me that the, you know the start of the experience for sport and nfts is seen by the 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 bulk of legacy fans as very negative i think for reasons i've said before that's problematic but when i look at this deal that you've done with one football and you're also sitting um, as an owner of um, Dapper labs I don't know if this deal has been announced yet, but I read somewhere that Dapper Labs are about to do a deal with the English Premiership. I'm not asking you to confirm that one way or another, but let's say that I'm not a million miles away. That would strike me that Dapper Labs and what you're doing with One Football—they're going to be working pretty closely together. I think you can
1: always assume that we would work closely with with Dapper and One Football because we're shareholders of both, and we're. We're very old friends with Dapper, um, you know, as I may have mentioned to you in our first conversation or, or offline, at least. Um, they're one of the reasons that we got into blockchain to begin with, because our first project was together with Dapper, uh, um, you know, working to publish CryptoKitties um, back in 2017. So we do work closely with them and, you know, would welcome any opportunity to, to continue doing that.
0: Well, I think that's going to be fascinating to see how that develops, and which is a good thing to be talking about, because when you start talking about competitors, it means that you've got a market that's validated. I look around a little bit and and I see uh, Sorare, or, or what, I don't know whether you call it Sorare or whatever, mm. Sorare. And of course, the big gorilla, whenever you mention the word collectibles, uh, now is fanatic's. Are you uh, in, in some place in, in your eight hundred uh, man team, man and woman team? Are you like strategizing out the the competitor analysis and who's going to be coming for you and what partnerships you need to make? Is give people an idea of the big big picture thinking here, Robbie? Sure. Um, I think
1: the funny thing is Web three kind of changes your stance on the idea of what it means to be a competitor huh. because I think the important thing is that. As I said earlier, Web3 is about collaboration and interoperability. So, in fact, it's in everybody's interest to partner with and work with everybody else. And so it actually, and I know this might sound a little bit naive on first glance, but, but you know, think it through. Um, in fact, we don't actually view any of these other companies who you might mention as competitors. We view everyone as a potential partner because no matter what experience you create or what content you know um like content drop of nfts you create etc what you want most is for those things to be able to be used by the widest possible audience if i create you know nft collectibles i want them to be able to use not just in my game or my metaverse but every game and every metaverse because that's the potential of web3 and if i create a great game i don't just want people to be able to use the items you know that i sell in the game I want to be able to attract audiences from other games who own other collectibles to come and play in my game. So this interoperability piece is really now. important. And what it what it means is it makes us all, you know, at best friends and at worst frenemies <laughs> because it means that we will all add value to each other by cooperating and we'll actually be better off by cooperating. Um, so I view those, actually, those companies that you cited as um, as opportunities, because, you know, like with rare they're way ahead of us in terms of in terms of football and Web3 because they've been at it longer, and I would welcome the opportunity to work with them.
0: Yeah, I, I hear all of that very articulately put, but this is a licensed game, mm-hmm. and there's only one Real Madrid, and there's only one Man United. Yes, you can then own that and, uh, let's say, um, sweat the asset across as wide different uh places as possible and interoperability. But at the end of the day, I would suggest that you're going to be in the strongest business position by having the original and exclusive license to the big brands. Is that not the case? Uh, Not exactly. Not
1: exactly. Mm. Um, Because if you think about it, um, just imagine, I'm going to make a hypothetical here. Just imagine that you have the rights to whatever, Liverpool Football Club to make exclusive NFT players, let's, game mm-hmm. players for games, let's just say. And then, for example, assume I have the most fun game and I allow you, you, your customers to bring their Liverpool players to come and play my game and actually they enjoy my game more than the game you made for your collectibles. So that means people will come to you to buy collectibles and come to me to play. So we'll both benefit in that case.
0: Yeah. Okay. But sport, my sector, the way sport has operated with its IP and its licensing has never really been in partnership. It's what's called a minimum guarantee attitude, which is you give me the money and I'm sure you'll get on with it. And if you ever manage to reclaim the minimum guarantee, then I'll get extra royalties one day. And if you don't, too bad. That's what I think the challenge is, Robbie. Yeah, you've got one football, you've got dugout and everything like that. But at the end of the day, the partnership idea of sport and football in particular has never existed. And one could argue, Robbie, that that's why they failed in the first 12 months of NFTs, because they haven't had a partnership approach. They have taken money from somebody And we know who that person is in the main, it's Socios. And they've put the money in the bank. They've used it to buy another player. And they've kind of left their fans in the position of what has happened. I hear what you're saying. I just, knowing sport, I think better than you, I just don't buy it yet. This idea that, you know, everybody's going to be a winner, I still think in sport, real madrid exclusive license so maybe maybe let me let me make a let me make a an analogy
1: that might make it more clear um let's say you're a you're mercedes-benz and you manufacture cars yeah um and i create the best racetrack in the world and customers come to my racetrack with their cars do i need mercedes-benz permission to allow their cars to run on my track Um, It's the customer's choice. You don't need, you don't, when you buy a Mercedes, you don't have to ask their permission on where you can drive.
0: Okay, I get it for playing the game, but if you're doing something that then is gonna be commercialized as some kind of tournament, you know, again, this is the issue with sport, you know, like you've got Man United, you've got Real Madrid, but in some moments they're selling their IP as part of La Liga, Spanish league, and some moments as part of UEFA, for the Champions League that's just happened, et cetera, et cetera. It's incredibly uh, interchangeable what the value of the brands are in the competition they're playing in. To be honest, Robbie, this is what I think FIFA doesn't get with EA Sports. They haven't understood the point I think that you're making here that being the big tournament doesn't necessarily mean that that's where people are going to go to congregate. So, you know, what I'm saying is you may ultimately be right. And this may be part of the the evolution. But today it's not that way in sport. Today it is very clunky and you get people with license and image issues getting super confused.
1: So I think it's let me let me make another analogy which might make it easier. We, We like to think about the world when you think about true digital ownership true digital ownership is the is exactly the same thing as physical ownership Mm -hmm. so if you buy a man united jersey um it's your jersey Mm -hmm. you do with it what you like you wear it wherever you want if you want to throw it in the bin you can throw it in the bin because it's just a waste of money Mm -hmm. then for you but it's your jersey you do what you like with it and so when you own a digital item and you truly own a digital item it should be yours to do with what you like that's the premise that's that's our I, thesis uh, with no, I, I
0: get that but w- w- which it, also
1: means that you can take it wherever you
0: like I get that but when you say take it we need to define what it is because if it's a digital image of a man United player whichever one you want I can someway see that that you can then take these players and, and you've got Kevin De Bruyne from an NFT of Man City and you've got you one from Real Madrid and you put them into a game that you've created and that's fine. When you want to play as Man United, as that team that's where you get really complicated that's why you've got all these games that are called you know scouser united and they play in red and it's meant to be liverpool you know that's how all these games manufacturers have got so let me us.
1: let me go back to the let me go back to the physical analogy okay so if you have 11 kids who all buy man united jerseys and go out onto the pitch and play and pretend that they're man united players are they not allowed to do that
0: and they're not call themselves man united no Afraid? No, no. Meaning, meaning.
1: But they all have the they all have the jerseys on, right? They're allowed to wear their jerseys and assemble
0: as jerseys because Man United doesn't go and say, that, "Hey, stop, stop playing, right. kids." No, they don't. But they cannot call themselves Man United. Whatever they call themselves, they cannot use the Man United logo uh, beside their team name. They have bought a piece of money uh, no correct but but they're wearing the jersey meaning they
1: they're, they don't have to take the item off they don't have to take the patch off the jersey to go out and play with their friends
0: No they don't they don't
1: They own that jersey they so do. everything about that jersey is theirs to do with what they like. So if they decide to congregate as 11 kids on the playing field and all wear their individual jerseys as long as they don't you know put up posters and create new content, then they're just using their jerseys and enjoying them.
0: Yeah, I, I, I see what you're saying. I, I think we've got a little bit of ground to get through, to, to, to mm. get there. But like I said before, let's not lose the point that I'm agreeing with you. I put it into the context of the Fantasy League. Yeah. So I think
1: with the Fantasy League, maybe where people have, um, I think, you know, you said that maybe fans have have been underwhelmed with the overall experience, potentially. Not in fantasy, and I think that in that,
0: NFTs. In fantasy in NFTs. yeah.
1: Okay, so in NFTs, and I think that that's mainly due to the fact that the experiences that have been available so far are still relatively immature. Mm -hmm. I mean, we're at the very early stages of an industry, and it takes a long time to build great products. Um, And so I think one thing that I would encourage fans to do is to continue paying attention and continue trying. And also, when you don't like stuff, let us know. Fans love to be vocal on social media. Um, and so I think that engaging with the fans is a really important part about us as an industry, making our products better and more fan friendly. And so I think that, you know, if people look at the most important thing from my perspective is that you need to look at NFTs as a way to um, transfer digital ownership of content. So it's a way for people to buy stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, if people think that buying NFT collectibles is an investment-grade asset, then I think they're thinking about it in an incorrect fashion. Just like, you know, some people might want to buy American baseball cards because they think the value is going to go up. Well, you know, you're welcome to do that, but that's not the point of a baseball card. The point is that you're a big fan and you want to collect cards of your favorite teams. And and so I think that, you know, Um, it's important to always keep in mind what the intention of the product is to begin with, and it is an entertainment product. And so you have to ask yourself, is it providing me with entertainment? I
0: think that's a great point. You know, my colleague on this podcast, Grant Williams, um, who has been relatively severe on the the whole uh, crypto world, makes exactly that point. He says, depends what you're doing it for. If you're doing it to get rich quick, you're probably going to be ultimately disappointed, if not severely hurt in your wallet but if you do it for other reasons then i think this is the future future of ticketing the future of subscriptions collectibles and and my favorite as i said is fantasy i I can see so much possibility there for a really engaged audience that today is not making any money for the premier league and i hope maybe you're sitting on something and you're not saying it but i hope when if and when you guys do the the premier league deal with dapper that very quickly after that there's some serious thinking about how to do something super cool with those eight million players of fantasy Mm -hmm. definitely well i mean i
1: think the thing about football that's amazing and why we wanted to engage with one football specifically to help us navigate is that Football is a very big and, as I said, diverse and complex world. So we want to make sure that we're faithful to the kind of product that really engages fans and and understand where the heart of
0: of the fans' interest is. Last question, Robbie. And um, this is this has been great and you know quite a, a chunky debate uh, back and forwards. But one last question I want to ask you. Let's let's think about you know Microsoft buying Activision, and i kind of thought that was millennium brand buying millennium brand in a lot of ways i don't want to get into that and and everything there but are we going to go on a podcast one day where you're going to be the owner of the web 3 version of fifa the game is that something in our future um i actually think that if if web 3 goes in the direction of travel that we hope Um, there's not going to be any such thing. That's a great answer. And that's a point I'd like listeners to reflect on there. And I'd like people that are sitting in the big rights holders to reflect on. Explain why there won't be any such thing, Robbie. Because it's going to be a lot more,
1: um, it's going to be a lot more diverse. I think what's interesting is that we will see, like, let's take football, for example, as the example here. Um, You're going to see a lot of, different and diverse initiatives taking um, taken on behalf of players and leagues and clubs who decide to monetize their rights with different partners and different initiatives. And all of that is going to, over time, I think, coalesce around a variety of different experiences that will end up becoming market leaders. Um, and that's just the evolution of Indie industry. So people will eventually i i suspect gravitate towards a smaller handful of experiences just because those will become the market leaders and the most fun and you know it's the way business works they'll make more revenue they'll be able to put more money back into r d and make better products Um, but all of that is going to be about fans voting with their feet so to speak because they're going to be in possession of all of their nft merchandise and playable characters and collectibles and decide how they best want to exploit the stuff that they own. Just like, you know, where do I want to wear my jersey to? Where do I want to bring my signed football to? How do I express my fandom? And that's up to me, not up to, you know, a single platform that says, if you want football, you come here. Otherwise, sorry.
0: You know, I think I'm just listening to you there, and I'm old enough to remember that you know, the industry, the sports industry that I started in, which was very simple and not fragmented. Rights were very clear and easy to sell. And then, you know, with the start of the internet specifically, and it's certainly in the last 10 years, it's become extremely fragmented and rights windowing. People listening to this will recognise that phrase has become a bit of an art. Uh, What you've just heard Robbie say there is that that's going to get cubed into something that's going to resemble 3D chess, I would suggest. Robbie, listen, thank you very much. Easy to not take this interview after the last five months, but I couldn't think of anybody better to close the circle on the six-part series we've done. Um, I think we've covered a lot of ground. I remain incredibly bullish, and I'd just like to thank you and wish you all the very best and keep up the the, the good fight. Thank you, Roger. It's been a pleasure. Take care, sir. Bye-bye.
1: Take care.